It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Invasive species are more prevalent in Alaska than you might think. This week, a group of scientists, scholars, and interested members of the public are meeting in Sitka to cover a five-page agenda of some of the state's most troubling species. The Alaska Invasive Species Partnership is a completely ad hoc gathering. There are representatives representatives from state and federal agencies, tribal governments, and universities, but the consortium officially belongs to none of them. Their common interest is preserving Alaska's native species. Tammy Davis is the Invasive Species Program Coordinator for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, who's been in Sitka often in recent years, working on an eradication project of the invasive tunicate D. vex in Whiting Harbor. Gino Graziano is with the University of Alaska Fairbanks Cooperative Extension Service. The pair spoke with KCAW's Robert Woolsey about this week's workshop in Sitka. It started as a a group uh, focused primarily on invasive plants um, under the name Committee of Noxious and Invasive Plant Management. And it was really brought about by um, a bunch of farmers in the interior part of the state wanting to work more on weeds, weed management issues with BLM and uh, Department of Transportation and some others, and then it really kind of just um, spread to statewide because it's it's not a single issue for one part of the state. So you've incorporated uh, marine invasives now into sort of the terrestrial program. Oh, yeah. What rises to top the list of the Invasive Species Partnership's priorities? Why are the things that are here on it. Are these just the main focus of interest of the, the people who are coming, or are these the the invasives of highest concern in Alaska right now? Well, it's a little bit of both, because um, the a lot of the people coming are, are also southeast Alaska folks. So we, we rotate around the state and then um, try to get to places that are off of the road system, meaning not Fairbanks or Anchorage, and um, and address some of those concerns. And so some of the ones, like uh, there's a complex of knotweed species um, that are a common invasive uh, plant, big issue in southeast Alaska, um, and uh, John Hudson and several others are going to be talking about it, as well as a, a speaker from Oregon State University talking about um, uh, possibility of introducing a biocontrol agent to take care of those uh, plants as well. Um, so, um, and then, um, and then, yeah, European green crab is a new one on the list too. This is now in southern southeast Alaska. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So far, they've only been confirmed from waters of Metlakatla, which is the um, Annette Islands Reserve area. Um, we have the Department of Fish and Game has done some surveys outside of that area and not found green crab thus far. That doesn't mean they're not there. It just means we haven't found them. And what is the biggest threat associated with European green crab? Green crab are voracious. One four-inch wide carapace green crab can eat 20 clams in a day. And even if it isn't clams, it's one of the other benthic invertebrates that our ground fish, salmon, and other Dungeness crab rely on for food. Did green crab get here on their own, or did they hitch a ride? Likely they got here by larval distribution in the ocean currents. When I have worked with you in the past, Tammy, when you were out there in Whiting Harbor with your crew, they really kind of enjoyed trying to kill off DVEX. There was kind of an inspired, I don't know, a sense of camaraderie and trying all these different things. And 
I'm glad you have fun because there's there has to be lots of things that are not fun about invasive species. I mean, you no longer get ahead of one, then you hear about two more. At least that's sort of my perception just out in the public. I think that's true. There are many pathways that bring invasive species and spread them around. Humans move around and we bring the things that we like with us intentionally or unintentionally. One of the great things about the Alaska Invasive Species Partnership is it's no one's job to participate in this particular group necessarily. I mean, we all work on invasive species, but this is sort of an add-on to what we do in our day-to-day job for the different organizations that we work for. But um, everyone is really dedicated, and everyone is willing to give it the extra effort because I think we all care about the native resources that we have, and we want to protect them. That was ADFNG Invasive Species Coordinator Tammy Davis and UAF's Gino Graziano discussing this week's Alaska Invasive Species Partnership Workshop in Sitka. You can find a link to the conference agenda on our website, kcaw.org. Alaska's largest federally recognized tribe is opening a new office in Washington state. KTOO's Katie Anastas has more. The Central Council of the Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska represents more than 36,000 people. More than 8,200 tribal citizens live in Washington state. Now, those citizens can go to an office in Linwood, Washington, for in-person help with things like enrollment, tribal court services, and child welfare. Clinket and Haida President Chahiaish Richard Peterson says it's the tribe's latest step in establishing a presence in all of its communities. I've always said we're going to meet our citizens where they're at, so it's kind of that promise kept. Linwood is just north of Seattle. The new office has 20 staff. There's also a large classroom where Clinket and Haida education staff can host language, arts, and cultural programs. Peterson hopes it will help build community among tribal citizens who live in Washington. You know, and living in an area like Seattle where you could go about your daily life and never, you know, look across and see it somebody who looks like you, who has your background, who is similar to you, you're going to be able to go in and feel like you're home. Clinket and Haida recognizes 21 communities in and outside of Alaska as community council chapters. The tribe has opened two offices in Anchorage in the last two years. Peterson says he's seen how much it means for tribal citizens there. Just driving downtown Anchorage and you see a Clinket and Haida sign, that that, your head kind of spins around. We've had people walk in right off the street and they're saying, hey, I'm Clinket or hey, I'm Haida, what's this? And we start telling them, and I've had people literally tear up. You know, they're so excited about having those connections and opportunities. Washington-based staff started moving into the Linwood office last week. Clinket and Haida is hosting a grand opening on Wednesday. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. Alaska's Trust Land Office is planning to sell dozens of parcels of waterfront property on Petersburg's Mitkoff Island in the next couple of years. It's part of a larger statewide effort to sell land to pay for mental health services throughout Alaska. KFSK's Hannah Floor reports. The purpose of the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority is to improve the lives of Alaskans with mental health issues. It sells its land to make money for advocacy and grant making. Allison Biostock is a spokesperson for the Trust Land Office, which is contracted to manage the land. 
Beneficiaries of the trust include any Alaskan who experiences a mental illness, a substance use disorder, a traumatic brain injury, an intellectual or developmental disability. One piece of trust property on Mitkoff Island is at Blind River Rapids. It's already up for sale with the trust's fall land sale auction. It's a popular recreation site 14 miles south of town where residents and visitors fish for king and coho salmon. Other sites chosen for future sale include more waterfront parcels at Blind River Rapids, as well as at the mouth of Blind Slough and north towards Papke's Landing. The state requires the land office to notify the public any time it plans to sell land. Deputy Director Jeff Green says part of the reason for public notice is to allow for public comment. And that public notice is put on our website, it's sent to the local newspaper, put up on the state's public notice website, it's sent to the local government, if there is one, and it's sent to the regional native corporation. The Trust Land Office published a public notice for many land sales throughout the state in the Petersburg Pilot Weekly Newspaper on October 13th of 2022. The Land Office intends to sell the majority of those by 2025. It stated that a public comment period was open for 30 days. The notice was general in nature and outlined an intent to sell, quote, a number of trust parcels through the Trust Land Office's statewide land sale programs, unquote. It went on to list communities close to the land chosen for sale, which included Petersburg, Big Lake, Wasilla, and others. It noted that the descriptions of the parcels could be found in the written best interest decision, but there was no link or direction to that decision on the public notice. Green said in an email that the trust did not receive any public comments on their intent to sell the Midcoff Island parcels. The public notice states that the executive director will consider comments that question whether the sale is in, quote, the best interests of the Alaska Mental Health Trust and its beneficiaries, unquote. Green says the trust only accepts public comment that relate to the best interests of the trust. In other words, making money for the benefit of those with mental health issues. Several of the selected parcels of waterfront land on Mitcuff Island are along popular sport fishing areas at Blind River Rapids and the mouth of Blind Slough. Green says the land sales will not affect fishing in those areas. You know, the, they'll still have access to the fishing. The trust only owns the uplands. Everything below the mean high tide line is owned and managed by the state of Alaska Division of Mining, Land and Water. And that access will remain as it has always been. Most people access Blind River Rapids by foot along the tide line. Mean high water, or high tide, is 14.7 feet. Anything above that point would be private property once the sales are complete. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.